All right, so welcome to Center for Spiritual Awareness, uh, the second week of our July retreat season. And I know most of you were here last week when we started speaking about the uh, looking at the Bhagavad Gita. And so we will continue that. Um, a little review. I was reminded uh, last night, I was thinking about uh, Joseph Campbell. And Joseph Campbell did uh, a remarkable job of looking at all the different uh, mythologies and the different cultures, the different you know, from different times and different places on the planet, and he had this amazing insight that all of these mythological stories, stories of growth and transformation, all were really one story, and he called this the hero's journey. And the hero's journey begins with separation. That is, the individual is. <coughs> Uh, leaves home or is pushed away, something happens, there's a big health challenge, there's a, uh, a job, you know, you lose your job, your relationship falls apart, a loved one dies, something happens to sort of move one off center, move one out of place. And so this is the separation that begins the quest, the journey to discover what's really going on and you know, how, how does this work and what am I supposed to be doing and what's my life about? And so then the journey continues to phase two, which is to confront, confront one's uh, dragons, to look at the fears, to confront the obstacles. So as we start to move out and we step into the unknown, uh, because we don't know what's going to happen, where there's uncertainty, so there's naturally fear and anxiety and worry and oftentimes obstacles. Um, the subconscious throws up uh, obstacles to change. If we decide we're going to do better, you know, we have a health challenge and, and they say, well, your heart's not going to make it unless you change your diet and start to exercise and you do this and you do that. And the subconscious starts to go, yeah, but I can't exercise and I hate this food. And so we have obstacles that pop up, obstacles that come just in a practical way. And, and so it is confronting these obstacles, confronting our fear, confronting the challenge. This is the next phase of the hero's journey. And then in this process of confrontation and dealing with what comes up, then we're transformed. We get over it. We move past it. We, we move over or around the obstacles. We confront our fears and realize that, that they're only inside. There's nothing outside that our fear is, is self-generated, that the obstacles are self-generated. And so in this confrontation, we find that we're transformed, we're changed. And then the last part, the third part of this hero's journey is to return. We come back to where we started. We come back home, we come back to ourself, but we are changed. And in that change, we have new consciousness, we set new examples, we teach, um, we bring back from this transformative experience, we bring back something which then becomes a contribution. So, so we look at, uh, so in, in Joseph Campbell's terms, we look at every story and we see, okay, well, the hero, you know, had to leave home, something happened. He went on a quest in the process of the quest, had to confront some obstacles, something to overcome. 
And at the end, he came back different, or she came back different, was changed, transformed. And this makes for a satisfying story because it also resonates with us. It resonates with, with our life. You know, what, what's already happened to us? We have gone through the hero's journey, each one of us, many times. Small ways, big ways, but we've already been there. And I was thinking also that each time we sit to meditate, it's actually like a little miniature hero's journey. Each time we sit to meditate, we, we move away from what's normal. We move away from our conditionings. We move away from sensory input. We separate. We separate ourselves from our regular day-to-day -day life. And then we confront the obstacles. We either look at the resistance to allowing our awareness to be fully clear. We look at the thoughts and the conditionings and the things that keep coming up and distracting us. And we, we bring our attention back. We focus. We engage. We engage. This is an active process. So our meditation is part of this hero's journey. And as we're, as we sit and as we're successful, as we, uh, find some peace, find some quiet, find some awakening, allow consciousness to sort of bubble up into awareness from time to time. We rest in thought-free awareness. And this process changes us. And so as we come back to ourself, back to our regular life, we find, well, I'm a little bit clearer. And I've found this place of peace within. I know it's there. I can access this. And so each time we have this experience, we change the way our brain is wired, the way our mind functions. Um, we create new conditionings that are positive in a, in a useful way. And so each time we sit to meditate, we can think that this is like a little miniature hero's journey that we're going on, a quest, active, involved, engaged. And then in the same way, when we're looking at our story, the Bhagavad Gita, and as a reminder for anyone who wasn't here last week, uh, the Bhagavad Gita is this wonderful story that is a, a metaphor. It's an analogy. It symbolizes our own personal quest. And so the hero in this story is Arjuna. Arjuna is our main character. And this is, represents the seeking soul. Arjuna represents each one of us. And Arjuna is about to lead his job is to is to lead a battle that is in on the in the external level it's a battle of family against family it's a civil war it's a war of one side which is represented by the pandavas that's arjuna's side and that is the side of righteousness and the side of sattvic involvement and the side of spiritual awakening the side of realization and on the other side are the cousins and the friends that are led by the blind king, blind mind, Dhritarashtra, and his son, Duryodhana, who is passion and, and low desires and all the involvement and engagement and things in the world. And um, Dhritarashtra's 99 sons that are all uh, the lower qualities, the the uh, conditionings, the emotions, the sense inputs, all these things that are kind of the distractions of life. And so Arjuna is sitting here in the battlefield and he asks his charioteer, who is Krishna. Krishna represents enlightened consciousness. The chariot is represents the body, 
It's pulled by five horses, which represent the senses, and it's under the banner, the energy, the power of Hanuman, which represents prana, life force. So we have the vehicle, which, which within that vehicle is Arjuna, the seeking soul, each of us interacting with higher consciousness, asking what to do, what's supposed to happen. And on the and just before this battle is about to take place, this interaction, Arjuna is taken down on the field between these two sides. So he is separated from his army. He's separated from the army they're about to fight. He is on the field of uh, Dharmakshetra Kurukshetra, that is the field of righteous action, virtue, uh, morality, and the other side, the Kurukshetra, which is the side of um, distraction, immorality, sense orientation, conditionings, limitation. So here is these, this field of life. So this is life. And Arjuna has taken himself temporarily out of his role as a general and put himself in this position between these two armies. So this is the beginning of the classic hero's journey, you see, separation. And then the next thing is he immediately, he looks and he goes, this is not going to work. I don't want to fight. You know, there's no winning this. If I fight and, and, and I'm victorious and kill off the, the other side, the head of the other side, Bhishma, this is individualized consciousness. My individualized consciousness, the sense of my being as an independent spirit is leading the army on the other side. How can, how, can I, how can I want to fight against that, you see? And all of the wonderful things that I've ever done and the things that I'm afraid of, all this are all, I'm confronting all of this. And so, so here are the obstacles to be overcome. Here's what he needs to, to deal with. And, and at the beginning, he just gives up. He says, I can't do this. So this is a classic hero's journey. Here we have the separation and now we have the confronting the dragon, confront, confronting the fear, fear of change, fear of being something different, fear of the unknown. And so, and so, and then finally he, he says to, to Krishna, to higher consciousness, he says, I give up and I don't know what to do. So please tell me. So he comes to this place where he's open and receptive to some teaching, to some coaching. And this begins the dialogue then between Krishna and Arjuna, higher consciousness and the self. And in this process, then we will observe that Arjuna gets information and begins to uh, understand a little bit and starts to ask questions. Say, well, okay, well, I kind of get that, but how does that work? So we ended chapter two with him saying, okay, I understand that what you're saying about the fact that everything is one thing, there is no separation. So the spirit, the soul was never born and it's because it was never born, it can never die. There's only one thing. I am part of all that. So this idea that I can kill something or something can kill me is an illusion. So the, all this uh, philosophical intellectual conversation goes on in the beginning of chapter two. And then, Toward the end, 
uh, Krishna says that you have to engage, you have to be, you have to be acting, you have to act and do something and, and assume your role, take your part, pick up your bow and arrow and, and lead this army, get this job done. It's your, it's your duty. And so now we start chapter three and chapter three starts off with um, Arjuna asking Krishna the question. He says, well, you just told me that wisdom is the top, is the best way to go. Wisdom, you know, what we need to do is have knowledge and understand what's happening. And now you're telling me to act. So what's the deal? What's more important, the action or the wisdom, the knowledge? <clears throat> and so we, we began last week uh, the discussion that Krishna had, the answer that Krishna had to uh, this idea of action. So, and as I was thinking about this last night, I was thinking about, you know, how, how we really all have this hero's journey at some point, uh, maybe a major one at some point, you know, several minor ones, but, but this is a continuing theme in anybody's life in any story. And so, I, and I was thinking about, uh, you know, one of these major hero's journeys, I'm not the hero, but I'm always, of course, we're always the hero in our own story. Um, so I was thinking about this, this sort of hero's journey that became a very transformative experience in my life early on. I was about uh, 22, 1969, and uh, a friend of mine, an engineer at the company I worked for, I was a technician at the time, invited me to go on a backpacking trip. And, you know, we would go out up into the, to the wilderness in the, in the uh, Sierra Nevada mountains and spend a few days hiking and camping and, and have this adventure. And I thought, wow, that'd be wonderful. I, I mean, I love to camp and I love being outdoors. But since I was a little boy scout, I've never actually backpacked, carried my stuff and gone out for a few days. And wow, wouldn't that be fun? We started to make this plans for this trip and we were to go on the very southern border of Yosemite National Park, which is really wilderness. It's a long way from the Yosemite Valley where all the, you know, Half Dome and El Capitan and all those things that you normally see. It's way on the other, on the southern end of, the, of uh, Yosemite. And there's a mountain range that sort of defines the edge of Yosemite Park. The other side of the mountain range is the Minarets Wilderness Area. So either side of this is really remote and really wilderness. And so, wow, that's gotta be fun. And then about a week before we're to go, and I, you know, I bought my special lightweight backpack and my down sleeping bag and my three pound mountain tent and, uh, you know, special water bottle and dehydrated food, everything you have to carry. And we're gonna be out there for four days. So, um, so I was quite proud of myself that I could get, get my whole world all together in a 35 pound pack, you know, and very efficient, of course. And uh, so about a week before we're to go, my friend says, um, I've, I've been called away. I have to go to Washington, D.C. for a conference with the Navy for something that had to do with our company. And so we're going to have to postpone the trip. And I thought, no. <laughs> We don't have to postpone. I don't have to postpone this trip. I remember when I graduated from high school, I had a friend who uh, he and I were going to take hit the road. We were going to go across the country and see America, you know, 18 years old with my $10 Mexican guitar and, 
you know, footloose and fancy free, no plans, no direction, just go, you know, wow, this would be the big adventure. And, and, uh, and again, we had made plans and within about a month of when we were supposed to go, my friend backed out and changed his mind. And I didn't have the courage to go off into the country by myself. I had no idea what to do. <laughs> It'd just be nice to have no idea what to do with somebody else along, you know? So, so this time I said, no, I'm not, you know, if he's not going, that's fine. I'm going to go anyway. So, so I, uh, Uh, continued to go, continued to make my plans, and uh, I drove up to the place where the road ended, this long uh, the wilderness area where no motor vehicles or anything are allowed on foot. And the trail head to where I was going, which is called um, Chain Lakes, and it's right at the base of, of something called Gale Peak. And you can Google that, it's a place, and now you can look at all the beautiful pictures. It's really remarkable. Anyway, from the trailhead, so I slept in my van the first night, and then the next morning got up and put my 35-pound pack on and headed up the mountain. And it's about an eight-mile hike and mostly uphill. So you probably climb maybe 2,000 vertical feet in about eight miles. So it's a, you know, it's a job. It's a, it's a hike pretty much the whole day. And as I'm coming to the the straight the river that runs out of the chain lake, these three lakes, the chain lakes are three lakes that sit between two ridges and then the big mountain up in the back. So as I as I cross over the river that comes out of the lowest of the three lakes, big big boulders. This is uh, probably very close to the tree line. So we're up around eight nine thousand feet in the in the Sierras. And so I'm ready to cross these big boulders and get across this little river. And, and sticking out between two big rocks is a bamboo pole, bamboo walking stick. And bamboo doesn't grow anywhere around there. Somebody had left this bamboo walking stick, which was convenient to help balance and get across the river. And I thought, well, that's a wonderful gift. So I had my, my walking stick. I continued. Uh, made my way up, up the lake or up around and up to to the third lake where I was I had planned to camp and then I spent four days all by myself and I saw one person in the whole time had come in and at night and set up a camp on the other side of the lake and then left in the morning didn't talk to anybody I had no input there this was way before cell phones and so I had I had nothing you know just me And this is the first time that I had been completely all by myself alone that I can ever remember. I was raised with uh, four brothers and a sister. So, you know, there's always lots of action around. Um, and so, you know, it's very interesting, you know, and, uh, and, and uh, the, the, the fear, I mean, I'm out there with wild animals. There's bears and, you know, lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. Um, and, uh, you know, and I, set up my little camp and put my tent up and cook my food, you know, get my little white gas stove out and cook my meal. And I'm very proud of myself, set the tent up. Um, the sun goes down and I've got a little lantern, you know, for a little bit of time. And then you climb in the sleeping bag as it's dark. And, and then there's all these noises. 
the water's lapping on the edge of the lake and, and is that water lapping or is that a creature walking around you know and and what's going on out there and so so it's just interesting to observe how we react to these situations and then uh, I think the second day I was out I decided I was going to climb one of these ridges the ridge that was closest to my camp and and get a view down on the lake and so I started up this started up the ridge and hiked and hiked and I went uh, quite a ways and then the view every you know every time that I went a little further the view was better I could see further and that was neat and so I thought well I'm going to go I'm not just going to go here I'm going to go to the top of this bridge and then the next thing I was at the top of the ridge and I thought no I'm going to go up there there's a big rock up there that looks interesting and I continued in this way until I ended up at the top of the mountain so here I am on top of Gale Peak 11,000 plus 11,300 feet or something the top of the world and so from here, I can look all the way across Yosemite to all the mountains in the distance, all the way down into the wilderness area on the other side. I mean, literally on top of the world. It's remarkable. And I'm sitting up there thinking, you know, I don't think anybody I know, I don't think anybody knows where I am. And I'm on top of this 11,000 foot mountain a long way from even a road or anything and what happens if I you know twist my ankle or what happens if something goes wrong <laughs> we have to be very cautious here so I anyway I came back down and it turned out that I survived and lived to tell the tale and and then uh, within a couple of months after I got back home uh, I was invited to take over the photographic department for this company, for Westinghouse. And then the next person, the first person that came through the door was Arlie Gaines, who was uh, Mr. Davis's representative in San Jose. So I learned meditation and met Roy. And this was you know, very close to after I had this experience. And then... Uh, I read a couple of Roy's books and then I got the autobiography of a yogi. And, you know, this was really transformative, the autobiography of a yogi. And, and, you know, this was really psychedelic, mind expanding. And so I read the autobiography of a yogi and, and I get to the chapter on Babaji. And they talk about this amazing, magical being, Babaji, you know, who, who actually can you know the stories they can actually teleport transport himself from one place to another and in the autobiography yogananda says that he would uh, had a small band of disciples and when it was time for him to move from one place to another he would stand up and say dara danda utau dara danda utau danda is a walking stick i raise my staff and camp babaji's carrying a bamboo a bamboo walking stick. And I think, hmm, I wonder who left this bamboo walking stick for me back in the mountains. Isn't that interesting, you know? So, and we come back and we're, and we see the change. We're transformed as a result of this experience. Now, now that was, you know, one of the, one of the opportunities I had to, uh, to look at this and to 
I mean, to look at myself and to deal with, uh, wow, it's really interesting to be all by yourself. And it's really interesting to see what the mind does and where thoughts go and, um, and to allow oneself to kind of get more deeply in touch with oneself. And in the process, things change, you know, we're changed, our interaction with the world changes, and it's really quite remarkable. It's magical. So, so we go back and we look at our, our, our conversation in the Bhagavad Gita, and we see that Arjuna is us. We are the Arjuna. We are the questioner. We are the one that is seeking answers. We are the one that's trying to figure out what's going on and how do I engage? How do I act? How do I overcome these obstacles? How do I overcome the conditionings, the limitation, the idea, the sensation that I'm separate, that I'm, you know, that, for, that I'm not capable of change that that um you know that, that i'm stuck that i'm a victim all these things that come up as part of normal life and they come up as part of normal life just because of the way the process of of growing up is you know when we're very young very very young we're wide open everything is awe and wonder everything is magical you know and then as we grow up, we start to get conditioned. We start to find out that some things are not acceptable. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't talk like that. You shouldn't, you know, act like that. These are, that's not acceptable in social, you know, in society. Um, and so we start to get conditioned. We start to become limited. And then because we have these, our heart is a, a major sensory organ. It feels connection directly with the environment and with other individuals. We resonate. And this is not just uh, for people who are especially spiritual. This is everybody. But early on, when there's so much suffering and there's so much pain and feel so many people's emotions, this is so inundating, so heavy, that we start to learn to wall it off. We start to you know the feeling is i can't handle this it's too much it's too much and so we become we build little walls we you know we we uh remember the, the story about the golden buddha well we start to plaster over the golden buddha and become insensitive to these emotions and these feelings we 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 wall ourselves off we become self-limited and this is part of you know, in the beginning, it's part of a survival mechanism just so we can function when we're really young. By the time we're teenagers, there is this amazingly strong sense of individuality and independence. Every teenager wants to be different than their parents. They want to be independent. They want to be, you know, in charge of their own life. And so they figure out whatever they can do to kind of get on their own rock, to be their own, own person. This is very, very common. So we see a lot of rebellion going on in teenagers because of this sense of identification and this sense of feeling of empowerment. I want to be in charge of my life. And so this creates more and more sense of separation and more limitation. So by the time we're finally, you know, coming fully online when we're 23, 24 years old and the brain is finally wired itself up and we have impulse control and better ability to focus and by that time 
we're also so conditioned. There's also so many things in the background. We've been told what you can do and what you can't do. And we've shut ourselves off from suffering and from, you know, the compassion that is, it's innate and it's natural to us and we don't know how to deal with. So at the point where we really get onto our adult journey, you know, there's some excess baggage that's, that we're carrying along. And so, so now what do we do? You know, how do we deal with this? How do we become real people again? How do we get rid of the limitation, the suffering, the conditionings, the feeling of being victimized, all this stuff? And this is, this is what we're talking about. This is what the Bhagavad Gita is, is uh, revealing to us, is how does the world work? How do we work? What is the nature of our mind and awareness? And how does it interact and relate? And what can we do in order to be effective, efficient, in order to live mindfully, consciously, and to be free, to be liberated? Like when we were little kids, you know, to be able to see awe and wonder in everything, because it really is kind of an amazing thing, this life, you know. Um, and so we can, we can uh, reclaim that sense of awe and wonder, only this time we do it consciously and mindfully we do it without being out of control and without suffering as a result of the uh, of our compassion and the interaction with others but rather we are grounded awake spiritually awake and we see that in this grounding in this awareness that we have the ability to serve to assist others to be able to hold the space for them to be able to wake up to be able to make a useful contribution and so it's a different, we come back to ourself, but now we're changed and we're changed in a powerful, mindful, conscious way. That makes sense? So, uh, so I'm just gonna, just gonna have read one little piece here and then tomorrow we'll get back into uh, Krishna and Arjuna. But we ended up, um, with the reminder, Krishna is saying that we should not be uh, attached to the results of our actions. We act in order to act. And we go on this journey because it is within us. It's our dharma. It's our, our natural unfolding awakening process to go on the journey. We don't know where it's going to lead. We don't know how it's going to come out. We have no expectation. We just sign up and go. Take the trip have the adventure, you see. He says, only by selfless action did Janaka and other wise kings govern and thus assure the well-being of the whole world. King Janaka was very famous uh, in olden times in India, and he was this amazing ruler who not only was wise and uh, cared for all of his people, but very spiritually grounded and was like the epitome, the perfect example of how to be a conscious, mindful ruler of the self and of the kingdom. Whatever a great man does, ordinary people will do. Whatever standard he sets, everyone else will follow. Whatever a great man does, everyone else will do. And so, so it behooves us to take the actions, to do what it is that we can do, that embody, in, in that allow us to be great, allow us to uh, rise to the occasion, allow us to be uh, everything that we can be, literally. And then he goes on to say, in all the three worlds, Arjuna, there's nothing that 
I need to do. Consciousness, there's nothing I need to do. Nothing I must attain, and yet I engage in action. There's nothing that I need to do, but yet I act. For if I was to refrain from my tireless, continual action, mankind would follow my example and also would not act. So, so consciousness, life, this expressive reality is constantly moving, unfolding, evolving. And if it were to, for some, in some way, or for some reason, to move into this inertia, Tomas was to take over and everything was to slow down, then everybody would slow down. The whole process would devolve into nothing. If I stopped acting, these worlds would plunge into ruin, to chaos. Chaos would overpower all beings. Mankind would be destroyed. And though the, uh, though the unwise cling to their actions, watching for results, the wise are free of attachments, and they act for the well-being of the whole world. So the unwise are clinging to their actions, and the wise are not. They act for service. They act for making a contribution to life. And so, um, so this is a good place to end our conversation, our, our re, uh, reintroduction to the Bhagavad Gita. And tomorrow we'll continue with chapter three and uh, talk a little bit more about the gunas, the interaction, and how these characteristics uh, impel us in one direction or another and how we can work with them and around them. So that'll be, that'll be good for tomorrow. So any questions for today? No? Good. All right. So we have uh, another beautiful day where I am on the planet. I'm sure where you are too. So enjoy and be joyful. Don't forget to be joyful and grounded and uh, every day to live and to love and to laugh. That's important.